hope, and it's entitled, Thou shalt spend much time with thy mate. Good afternoon, everyone. Good to see you guys and gals. Can't exclude the women. I've asked this question, I think, before, but I'm going to ask it again to some of our men that, that speak pretty often. Have you ever had a subject and you had so much information on it that, you know, you just think, there's no way I can do that? Have, have any of you had that, any men? Some of you have back here, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like going to a garage sale on a motorcycle. You know, you you got you know saddlebag on each side and a trunk in the back, and and uh, maybe the place where your partner sits on the back, if they're not there, maybe you can bungee cord something on. But you know, you see all these things in garage sale that you'd like to take home with you or take you know and give to somebody or something, but there's just not enough room. Well, that's kind of the way it is sometimes with with subjects, and and I know you guys have have experienced the same thing. And, and I know a lot of our men are very well organized. They have messages way ahead of time, and I really admire them. And I've mentioned this before. And, and uh, you know, if, if I called in this morning and said I can't make it, well, Reg and a few others would, you know, they'd have something in the background. Well, I try that. I work on it. I try to get, get better at these things, you know. I'm trying to overcome. I've been, you know, critiqued on a number of things over the years. and. Seem like we stay in a rut a lot of time. But I worked on a particular message off and on this week. I knew what I was going to speak on. Uh, here a few weeks ago, I guess last month, I spoke on a subject. Now, the title at that time was, uh, I, I titled it, How to Minimize Strife in the Home. And actually, the, the article I referred to was How to Stop Strife. Well, well, you don't stop it. We're always going to have strife in our relationship, but I mean, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit and show you where I'm going. Uh, it came from, the, the inspiration came from a flyer from uh, one of the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, magazines, I think Wake magazine, and uh, you know, sometimes they have some pretty good things. There are a lot of good things out in the world. Truth is truth, no matter where you get it. And uh, I know a lot of people uh, have the idea, well, if, if some of these people come to your door, you, you, you know, you run them off, you don't talk to them, you don't give them Godspeed, you shake your dust off your shoes and all that. I'm not quite that bold, and I made a comment the last time that I've got a little bit of a relationship with the pastor of one of the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses Church here, and, and uh, anyway, but uh, they, they do sometimes have some pretty good articles, very, very good stuff. And I'm not saying that you ought to go out and read all of them. I'm not saying that at all because uh, some people, you know, may not be able to take it. But they had another article, a, a follow-up article that I'd really planned on, you know, kind of like the, the garage sale thing. You know, here's uh, some more information here. Don't have time in that message to give it, but we'll, we'll spread it over into another one sometime. And I didn't know whether it would be this time or not, but... Anyway, uh, uh, I, I started working on that, and uh, every once in a while this week when I'd have time, I'd uh, look at it and drop down some notes and make some scriptures and stuff, and uh, 
When it came to last night, and I usually do my final preparation, I think some of our men do too. I, I know Barney talked one time here a while back that he was up to, what, five o'clock in the morning working on a message. And, you know, some of us really have to struggle at these things. But anyway, I, I like to uh, at least go to bed on Friday night with knowing pretty well what I'm going to speak on. That way I can get up in the morning with a, uh, a clear mind. And sometimes it don't work that way, but... Uh, uh, I was working last night and around 10 o'clock, I guess, and I should have been quite a ways along because I'd already got on my computer. You know, when I get on the computer, I start putting things down to uh, make it bigger where I can see with my eyes. You know, I can't, my eyes are degenerating about like my hearing. And uh, um, anyway, and I just kind of fill in and, and use some of the scriptures and the points and try to put things where they ought to go to make the story flow go better. But about 10 o'clock at night, news was on. I went in to talk to my wife. I said, friend, this ain't going to go. This just is not working. Have you ever been that way, any of you guys? I don't know. I hope I'm not the only one. But, you know, sometimes it just don't fit. And I felt so good about it. I felt good. You know, I'm, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to be organized. And it just didn't go. Not that it was bad. You know, the good material uh, they had good examples, and the examples they have, a lot of them, there, there was about six points, and I'll, I'm going to paraphrase just a little bit of it because I'm going to work that in a little bit in my message anyway. But the, uh, the points were very good. They were, uh, really coincided a great deal with the uh, marriage workshops that uh, some of you attended that Fran and I were putting on there for, uh, since about 2006. And uh, good, good points. I thought, man, this is good. People can get some good points out of this, and, and they're organized. Well, anyway, it didn't work the way it just, the, the, the scriptures, it just didn't work. So I was telling Fran, and you know how, how your mates are. They're, they're uh, sympathetic to you, and, and uh, unless you have a bad one, you know, and then they criticize you. Well, you should have known better. But anyway, my wife is very good. And she's trying to be conciliatory to me, and she said, David, he said, uh, what about, and she, you know, she knew generally what I was speaking about. She said, why don't you, uh, what, what about the uh, scripture that you used in Becky's wedding, you know, seven, eight years ago, you know, out in California, and, you know, 1 Corinthians 13. It was really good the way they had it in the Living Bible. And I said, well, yeah, and she pulled out the little Bible that she uses quite a bit. And I don't know if some of you may have seen it. But what it is, it's a couple's devotional Bible. Have, have any of you heard that or any of you have that? Anyway, it's a couple's devotional Bible, and I think Sharon, our next youngest daughter, got that for us 15, 16 years ago, back before my youngest daughter Becky moved out, and she'd been gone almost 16 years. And uh, she got that for my wife and I, and I knew we had it. I knew my wife, I'd see it with her once in a while, and, uh, but I really did not realize how good that thing really is. I mean, it's really good. And I would say, and you could tell, you know, it's all getting all dog-eared and all that, and she'd have it beside her, a uh, little stand there beside her where she studies in, in the mornings and throughout the day. And uh, I'd never even looked at it. In fact, it's the first time I'd even looked at the presented to. Presented to Mom and Dad by Sharon Hope. <laughs> you know, I never even looked at that. But anyway, to make a long story short, uh, I took it back to my office, back where I was doing my preparation, and uh, just thumbing through, and boy, I tell you, it's got some powerful, really, really good things in there. 
right along with, with uh, what I like to talk about. And the only thing is, it's, it's real small writing. And you know, when you get older, you, you know, your eyes, even I've got these progressive lenses and, and do like that and everything, that don't work. Well, at home when I'm either studying or do, working on the computer or, or, or doing office work, I have to put these cheater glasses on. You know, the, the drugstore glasses, I've got a pair on one desk and another on the other desk, and so I'm never without one. And my eyes are getting so bad, and, and my wife told me here a while back, said, David, you need to, to go and get an eye examination. She said, you know, you're going to be down to wearing three pairs of glasses, and you're really going to look goony. And, you know, if I don't look goony now. But I'm, I'm going to put these on, I, you know, the... Because I really need to have them, so so don't don't be distracted by that. But anyway, it, it, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to real briefly mention uh, some of the things that, that was in that article. Not that you're going to get cheated by any way. Uh, some of these things will be worked into that the other. But um, one thing, and and whether it's not, whether I don't cover them or not, they're good points. So listen listen quickly, because <laughs> I'm going to go quick. And, uh, and it has also, in, in the article, original article was Principles That Promote Peace in the Family. Bible Principles That Promote Peace. And I'm just going to go real quickly with it. Develop a positive view of each other. Develop a positive view of each other. And boy, could, I ever, could we all go, go to town on that one. A lot of good stuff in, in the lesson that we had. Listen attentively with an open mind. Listen attentively with an open mind. And I'm not going to cover all the stuff that they did in the article, which is good. Uh, cultivate patience and mildness. You have, all of you have scriptures for that. Never stoop to verbal or physical abuse. And I think I mentioned some of that in the message last month. Be eager to forgive and to settle differences. It says quickly, but sometimes quickly is not always the best way of doing it, but in some cases it is. Make a practice of unselfish giving and sharing. All biblical principles, good, good Bible uh, verses to go with that. And at the end, do not give up promoting peace in the home. No matter how long you've been together, uh, and, and this, these things can even apply in, in relationships, as I mentioned uh, last time, even outside of the church, even with your family. And a lot of these things go along with family. But I picked out, and every single time I would turn over, and every once in a while, and I will recommend, if you, if, if you uh, have never looked into one of these books, and I, don't, I guess you could probably get it Lifeway or Mardell or somewhere. It's a couple's devotional Bible, and it has a lot of comments by lots and lots of people, a lot of them the names that you'll recognize, and I'm not going to go into it. And a lot of the quotes are from them, too, and you'll read the Bible. And it's broke down, I guess, for about a 52-week thing that they have a... But anyway, I, that's, that's too long, and I'm, I'm killing time that I really need to be getting into the main part of the message with. But there's so many phrases and stories and examples, and, and almost every time I would find one, I thought, man... I ended up having to take a lot of them out because, uh, just, you know, just because of the reading. And I will have to do a lot of reading, which is not my strength, but I'm getting better at it. Um, 
Anyway, I, and I already had in my message, I already had it down to my specific purpose statement like Mark did, you know, today I'm going to talk about such and such and here's what we're going to do. And that's where the bottom fell out. <laughs> and actually, I shouldn't say that, that's negative, that's actually where the beginning started. Um, and I'm going to read some of these excerpts and elaborate a little bit on them. And my theory, I don't know if you'd call it a theory, but my thought, my feeling is, I don't care if, if as long as you can get something out of, out of a, a message or something, if it, if it takes five minutes or five hours. But if you can grab something out of any one of our messages that, that all of us bring here, even out of a song service, if you can get something out of that that you can put in your mind and take home and work on or, or it's pricked your heart in some way, I don't care if it takes five, ten minutes and it's over with. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, it's over with, you know. If that's what it takes. We're here to edify one another, to love one another, to fellowship with one another, to worship God. So what I'm saying is if I get done in ten minutes, which I've already gone twelve, thirteen, uh, and, and you've got something out of it, good. And if you haven't, you know, tell me something that you want to, that, that you think ought to be better. You know, let me know that too, because we're all, all of us men and, and women are open for critique and wanting to do better. But anyway, uh, I just picked out some that uh, I, I could cover in the time frame. Uh, and I've got about seven points on this, or seven different ones. Um, this, the first one I'm going to do and I'm going to read from in this, what did I say, couple's devotional Bible. And I'm going to buy another one of these too so Fran can have one, I can have one because it's kind of hard to fight over them. And this is on page 657. And the title of this, and I'll just show you a little bit. You probably can't see from there, but maybe the camera can. It's got your Bible scriptures, and every so often it has, uh, you know, a, a page, you know, with borders around it, and uh, uh, it'll have, a, you know, a message or something in there. Fabulous, fabulous. It's, it's almost like when I was saying I wished I'd learned some of the principles on how to get along with women, you know, when my four daughters were at home. <laughs> I wished I'd had this a few years ago because it, uh, it, it's really good. I think it's good for husband and wives to um, uh, study them together. But the, the points I have, if one falls before or later than another, it don't mean they're not in any order of importance. It just happens to be, uh, that's where it goes through the book from the front to the back. And uh, I, I like to uh, be very organized, have it, you know, and all, most of our men do, you know, you want to be organized where you flow naturally from one point into another up to your conclusion and you bought the whole thing, you know, you, <laughs> that's what you seldom do. But, uh, but it has some points, so if, if, if there are any points in here that can do you some good, uh, I really hope so. I know it concretes to me. But on page uh, 567, and the and the title of it is Bored to Death. And the author of this one, I don't recognize the people, Robert and Jeanette Lauer, L-A-U-E-R. And some of the scriptures they gave was uh, Proverbs 5, 15 through 21. I'm not going there, but I'm going to read. It says, short, and, and like I said, this, this is from different writers. 
Shortly after their 10th anniversary, Donna told Joe she wanted a divorce. She was bored with Joe and, as well, their marriage. They had gotten so involved in their children, their work, and their and other outside interests that their relationship had deteriorated. How many times that has happened over the years? Boredom's ability to undermine a marriage often goes undetected. Periodic doldrums and isolated low points in a relationship don't pose a major threat, but ongoing chronic boredom can seriously disrupt or even destroy a marriage. If your marriage is a victim of chronic boredom, you and your spouse need to take immediate action. So if you feel that, you know, chronically, it'd be uh, boredom. And I, we could go on, we could take just that one thing and go into sin. So many ramifications, make a whole sermon on that. And there was about three points. First, commit yourself to marriage time, which is not the same as family time. You know, we've all been encouraged to have family time with our children. When you spend time with each other, you are providing your children with a rich gift, a portrait of a committed, loving marriage. Point two, keep changing and help your partner change. Growth and change should be a goal of marriage. Learn to change to mature and enrich your relationship. Enrich your relationship. Don't just settle for it. Don't let it just passively go by. Third, find and measure, no, find and nurture shared interests and experiences which are critical in avoiding marital boredom. In addition to various sports and hobbies, there are a wealth of topics that a couple can study together. Boredom can pose a serious threat to the health of your marriage, which is opposite of what God desires. He created marriage to enrich each of you, not to cast a yawn over your lives. And here's a couple of questions at the bottom of this particular thing. It says, what are some ways you found to create marriage time apart from family time? What are some shared interests you might develop further? And while we're talking about that, and, I, and I've mentioned this, I think, a few times over the years, so I hope I don't bore you with that, but um, one of, some of the best advice that I had ever had, I think, from any minister in the Church of God was many years ago, Fran and I, my wife, had been in the church, I don't know, a few years, not too long, when, and a lot of the older people would know Brian Knowles when he came to Tulsa and took over the pastoral ship, and Larry, you'll remember Brian, I think. And uh, I had just changed jobs and uh, getting more overtime, making all this extra money. And more. But the problem is I was having a lot of problems fitting everything in. You know, your prayer, your Bible study, your family relations, your Bible study at church and Sabbath services and spokesman club and work crews and everything else. And I was having trouble. And at that time, we, we could request a great deal from the ministry to come out because they were on a paid payroll. You know, they had time. They didn't have a real job. And they could come out and counsel with you. Well, after work one evening, 
I had Brian Noah to come out, and I was wanting him to really give me some instruction on how I can conserve time, how I can get better at doing all of this, and I was bragging about my overtime and all that. And, and I started off, and some of you probably remember this. Uh, first thing I said, uh, I said, the first thing I do when I come home in the evening, because we were working 10 plus hours a day, the first thing I do in the evening, I waste the first 30 minutes talking to my wife. You know, I waste the first 30 minutes talking to my wife. And I thought, you know, he's going to say, yeah, cut that out. You know, that's not important. You know, you're, you know, you don't, you don't, you scratch that. Well, he came down on me. He lowered the boom on me. And, and, you know, you're talking about a dog with his tail under his, under his legs, you know, walking around. I was real sheepish. And, and he scolded me and he said, you know, your wife, the, needs adult communication. You've got these five kids around here and they no adult communication. He said, you need to take at least one night a month and get a babysitter and go, go somewhere to a motel room or some something and be away just with you and your wife. And he was very good on telling us and others, you know, marriage between a husband and wife, they need personal time together. And I don't know how many times over the years we have told people some of the same things, even some of our own kids and grandkids that have gotten married, that, you know, money is not the object, not that it's not important. And he told me at the time, which I thought was almost blasphemy, he said, God doesn't need your money. You know, when you're out here, all the extra ties and stuff you're giving, God don't need that, but he does need your, your family to be strong and for your children to grow up strong. So, anyway, there's some, some good points. I'm going over, uh, uh, in this case, not very far over, just a couple of pages, uh, page 662, and the title is Respect. It has R dash R E S P, you know, respect, really pointing it out. And this is the author is Jim Conway. It says, respect means you not only value your mate, but you let your mate teach you. If your mate has important God given abilities, you don't have you don't have his or her contribution in your life. No, let me read it again. If your mate has important God given abilities, you don't, okay, if he has the ability, you don't. His or her contribution to your life is essential, and, and we all know that. Uh, my wife and, and vice versa, we both contribute to each other, you know. Uh, we, uh, we, we all are different, and we all have strengths and energies. I have found that the more I respect Sally for her abilities, the more I am able to trust her. The more I trust her, the more she is free to exercise her gifts, which in turn gains my respect. So you see where all of this goes. You respect your partner. Recently, we were speaking at a couple's retreat in California. We had shared equally in all the sessions until Sunday morning meeting when I was expected to uh, speak alone. And Fran and I used to share a lot of the speaking duties and the workshops that we had. And I tell you, she was a lot better than I was. <laughs> she didn't have spokesman club, but, but she had a lot more wisdom than I had. I told Sally I thought we ought to lead the session together. She had heard me speak several times from the scripture passage I was going to use. And she agreed to join me. I was delighted as she contributed new and important ideas to our talk. 
the overall important the overall impact of the message was heightened and so was my respect for my wife and with the uh, workshops I was telling you about I had it for a year before Fran did and and uh, she decided to go get her training and and uh, joined in with me too and I tell you it really really helped it and boosted it and at the bottom of that marriage builders how does your respect for your spouse encourage him or her to make the most of talents and gifts? You know, do we, do we encourage them or we, do we help them to, to develop their gifts? How has your spouse's respect encouraged you? And I'm sure all of the men out here have had uh, respect and, and had their wives to encourage them. And I know that some of the wives had. Um, next point is uh, on page 691, which we don't have. We can't put that up on the board. I need to get a scripture here a little bit, don't we, so, so we can put it up on the board. The author of this, and I don't know this person, maybe you do, is Ron Hutchcraft. And some of them, like I said on the back, it has a lot of, a lot of them I do recognize, but I'm not going to read them all. Making time. And, and this is kind of what we've been talking about a great deal already. Um, spending time with God is the time to listen to the most important voice in heaven. Anybody disagree with that? Spending time with God is the most important thing that we can do on, you know. Likewise, freeing up time with my wife is a time to listen to the most important voice on earth. And men, if we don't we aren't to the point that we can realize that. Maybe we need to work on it a little bit. If you can't say that my wife is really, really good for me, then maybe we ought to spend a little more time with them. I don't mean to be corrective. You know, I've, I've, anytime we say anything, there's always qualifiers. And, and I know the people out here that, that don't have mates actively right now, you know, they may, some of this stuff may seem to be over their head. Well, it's not, it shouldn't be, you know, because the principles that we're talking about can apply to anyone and vicariously in conversations. You know, you have uh, relatives, you have kids, you have uh, friends that you're coming in contact with. It says, my marriage commitment implies putting Karen first and that's almost impossible to do if she cannot get on my agenda regularly. If she can't get to you, you know, she, you're too busy. If Karen feels unheard, she will eventually feel unloved. And that is the dangerous state, or that is a dangerous state. The Bible warns under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. And, and this is in uh, Proverbs uh, um, 30th chapter, but it's in a different version, so it may not jive. An unloved woman who is married... Oh, well, let me see. Um, anyway, an unloved woman who is married, Proverbs 30, verse 21 through 23. Karen will not feel loved if I don't spend time with her. She craves a oneness that can only be built through daily debriefings. But as delays go from days to weeks, the postponed agendas pile up and the volcano starts to rumble. 
you know, and how long does the mate, and it can happen the other way too. The husband can have situations where, uh, you know, his wife and them haven't had to uh, be in the communication. Uh, I know a person, my wife knows a person that uh, uh, one, the one, I shouldn't say male or female, but one of the partners uh, really has stated to their partner, I don't really want to hear what goes on at your work. I mean, that is devastating. If somebody, their mate, does not care about what goes on at their work. They're so involved with their, themselves that they don't care about what goes on. I, I just cannot figure that. I remember so many times sitting at the supper table at home when I was growing up and my dad would be sitting around talking about, uh, you know, his job. He worked in the oil field and how they related and how things went or, or situations, you know, and, and uh, mom never told dad, well, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about me and us or whatever. But anyway, uh, uh, the volcano starts to rumble. Finally, a conversation starts out slowly, then it picks up momentum, knocking loose a score of thoughts. Every item she shares with me reminds her of, an, of another. Before long, I am buried under the avalanche. I ask her, why did you wait so long to tell me this? She doesn't need the answer. She tried, but I was traveling too fast to hear, or I didn't leave any time in which she could even try. So sometimes we're too busy to, to uh, relate expressions. And, you know, when we would, and a lot of you can identify that, when I would come home from work and have time, the kids all around, I mean, you know, uh, my wife would try to talk and then the kids would all be interrupting. But uh, we went on a camp out one time. We left the kids at home, had a babysitter, and and uh, we were on the highway. We weren't even out of town yet. And boy, my wife was just chattering, just like a chipmunk, you know, da -da 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 -da, you know, no interruption or anything. About five, ten minutes along the way, she was caught up. <laughs> you know, she learned to paraphrase, and, and uh, you know, it took us almost the whole weekend uh, to get to where where we could actually talk. Um, Marriage builders at the bottom. Are you a person who lets things pile up until there's an avalanche of emotions? What about your spouse? What time of day would be best for a daily debriefing between you and your mate? You know, very important for families to uh, get together. Family, I mean, married time, not, not just children, family time. Um, see which was the next one. Page 1262. The curse of familiarity. And this is by Elisa Morgan. The curse of familiarity. In marriage, the task of communication faces a particular, a particularly hard to conquer curse, familiarity. We may perform for the world, but not at home. Familiarity excuse me, erodes our energy, saps our strength, and cuts our passion. All essential ingredients to good listening. When the phone rings, I am aware of the tone of the voice. No, I am aware of the... 
tone of the voice that I use. Oh, the person's aware to answer it because I don't know who's on the other end. You know, have you ever answered a phone and not known who it is and you're cheerful, happy, and all of that? Then if it's someone you know, oh, well, well, anyway. Um, but soon as I recognize the voice of mom, my husband, or my best friend, my tone relaxes to its normal pitch. We all do that. And I was on a situation here, uh, we all try to put on our best face, you know, when we're in public, when we're around someone. We try to make people think that we're really a lot better than what we are. And uh, I think two or three weeks ago, I was back in my office, and, and most of you know I'm pretty hard hearing, and I don't hear around corners very well, even my hearing aids in. And I was getting frustrated because something wasn't going right. I think my computer was messed up and, you know, the router on it, and I've been three days talking to people out of state, and, and uh, the phone rang, and I didn't know it rang. And someone, I think it was a church member, was wanting some kind of information about something, and my wife uh, said something, you know, from down around the hallway, and I guess she thought I could hear, and I snapped, you know. I said, what? You know, I said, what? You know, I can't hear you. You know, I was hateful. And, you know, I know the person on the other end of the phone heard that. That's not the image I want to portray. I want people to think I'm a kind person, a nice person, that, that I practice what I preach. And, you know, we do those things. And, I, you know, I'm no, she's forgiven me anyway. But, you know, we, we, we do need to be aware of our situation and our weaknesses. And, and, of course, our mates need to know that. And our children need to know that, too. You know, they, they need to know when mom and dad's having pressure. We need to know when our children are having pressures at school and, and know how to draw them out and to work with them. And, and like I said, those are all subjects, too, that, that, that could be a whole sermon. And, and a lot of our young women back here are very well equipped to do those things. And, and Fran and I are even learning now, as old as we are, things that we should be doing, should have been doing when we were younger. Um, get back into it. Our home offers a shelter from the storms of life, but we grow apathetic within our safe place. The familiarity that was meant to help can end up hurting. When I slip my mind into neutral because it's easy, no, it's just my husband, husband talking, I need to remind or be reminded of what good listening is all about. So we have to remind ourselves. We have to practice. If we want to survive this era in which families are ripped apart almost as fast as they are made, we'll need to fight against the temptation to turn out at or tune out at home. We need to open our ears, listen to voices inside the walls of our homes, listen to what's going on. You know, what would other people think? What would God think? While good communication alone can't cure a bad marriage, it can make a difference. It can make a difference. If we're to love well those we love most, we'll learn to listen. By learning to really hear what our spouses are saying, we can break the curse of familiarity. Then the marriage builders at the bottom, the questions they ask, what benefits and pitfalls come with familiarity of having been married for years? 
How can you improve your communication radar when it comes to listening to your spouse? I've got a couple more of these quotes that I'm going to go to. Take my glasses off so I don't stagger when I get off. Let my eyes kind of change back. In case some of you that uh, uh, haven't heard, some of them came in a little later. Uh, we're reading quite a bit from uh, a couple's devotional book that uh, my wife has had for years, and I made comment that I didn't even know we. Well, I knew we had it, but I just thought it was just some thing like my wife gave me here a few years ago. You know, she's given me some devotional deals. Some of the football coaches and stuff, you know, have devotional things and spiritual things and how how life really can be better, you know, even in the outside world. And I thought this was something like that. I didn't realize it was a Bible with some really, really good spiritual things in there. So if, if any of you, uh, I, would, I would thoroughly recommend this couple's devotional Bible for both husband and wife and both uh, people want to get married or whether they just like to have friends. Okay. Uh, next one is on page 1305 with the title uh, Mercy and another principle. Couples are too often blindsided by individual differences but it's possible to keep your differences from driving a wedge between you. One way is to communicate on showing mercy to your spouse. Consider the following questions, and look like there's three here. One, consider, no, considering we all have flaws, in what ways could you do a better job of showing mercy to your spouse? And sometimes it takes a little concentration, thinking, you know, what what can I do? None of us really like to think that we're really doing bad. We like to think that the, the decisions of things and our actions are good, and, and maybe the intention was, but, you know, we can get better. And if you'll excuse me a little bit, I'm going to get ready for the next hour. Two, verse two, or point two. Can you, can you think of an occasion when rather than giving your mate the benefit of the doubt, you instead concluded that what your spouse had done or said was deliberately, hurt, deliberately hurtful? Have we ever done that? Impute motives on that? If so, how did that affect your ability to view your spouse as a person who does his or her best to act out of pure motives. And like I said, that goes along with some of the things I was talking about in that other uh, article that we're not actually doing. Three, if you concentrate, no, if you concentrated on showing mercy rather than judging your mate's words, actions, and habits, how would that make it easier to accept the ways you and your mate are different? Sometimes it takes a little thought. I know one of the hardest things for me, even though I'd been in the church for years, but probably 15 years ago, I guess, I took uh, one of my classes out at, I don't remember now if it was TJC at the time or TCC, but it was on 
one of the uh, human relation classes and uh, really had to think about our motives. You know, we had to turn in homework and we had to sit there and, and, and try to say, why do we do what we do? Why do we think what we think? And, and it took some real, real introspection that even goes back sometimes to our childhood and other things. And uh, that was probably one of the, the, the best courses I had had, basically because I had to be honest with myself, you know. And if you want to improve, if we want to do better, if we want to be the best that we can be, we have to be honest with ourselves. Of course, we can't lie to God. We can't. We can be dishonest with ourselves and fool everything. But if we want, we want the best out of this life. We have to look at the Scripture in honesty. Am I am I really living up to this? And if not, why? What can I do? And then, of course, there's another subject too about forgiving yourself. And one of these days, I want to give a message along that line too. That you know we're not perfect, and we don't want to harangue ourselves and beat ourselves over the back. I'll never change. I'm so bad, you know, and all that. But on the other hand, we do have to evaluate ourselves. We have to evaluate uh, our strengths and our weaknesses. And if we really want to change, really want to change, you know, pray to God for God to give us wisdom, and we will change. Okay, I kind of digress there. Um, I'll have to, I'm going to start over there again because so, I actually forgot where I was. Getting, uh, marriage Partners Exhibit, was that the same one? Yeah. I wish my wife was down here a little closer to tell me where I left off because I got digressing. I get. I get wound up. Maybe did I give you the? Judging thoughts for words. I'm sorry. How about judging thoughts for the words? Thoughts for the words. Did I give you the page number? Thirteen, eighteen. Okay, let me just start over because I. Sorry about that. I'm getting one of these senior moments. Okay, the page is 1318. That's where I'm going to go. I'm going to live with it. <laughs> if I left one out, that's okay. Uh, called Friends. Whoop. Oh, no, okay, 1318. No, that's a friend. That's, that's okay. I see where I was now. Um, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. When when you're apart, when you're apart, okay. When you're when you're gone, you know you're traveling a lot. You're gone. When you're apart, you're not together much. And this the author of this one is Jay Kelsler. Says over the years, I've done a lot of traveling. Being away from my wife Jane is never easy. But when we are together, we work hard to make our time positive and meaningful. We share our lives with each other in as much detail as possible. I may be gone for several weeks at a time, but I know almost hourly or hour by hour what Jane is doing during that time. And she knows where I am and what I am doing because we talk about it ahead of time. I look at my watch and calculate 
It's eight o'clock back, or it's eight o'clock back home. Jane's getting ready to go to church. I consciously try to put her in my mind, thinking about her activities, praying through certain situations with her, and she does the same for me. Another thing we do when we're apart is read the same chapters in the Bible at the same time. I never thought of that one. And when I come home, we talk about whatever we've read. This helps us continue to grow together in our emotional, spiritual, and intellectual life. Making an effort to enjoy intimacies such as these can cause you to draw closer, though they were, though they're, Though, excuse me, though there may be hundreds of miles between you, so even if we're a long ways apart, we can still uh, do things to be closer to our mate. Marriage builders at the bottom. How do you update each other on individual lives, or your individual lives, whether you're traveling or at home together? You know, some of you don't travel, so that's probably not a big deal. What specific things could each of you do better involve each other in your individual lives? I think I've got one more to go. Oh, I think I skipped ahead a little bit. A little different than taking a Bible. Well, I think I put down the wrong deal I'm not sure, but uh, they're all good if I didn't. I'm going to read this one anyway. It's not what this one was about friends, and I think I put down the wrong page number. Uh, the ones I've seen so far, I haven't seen a bad one yet. It may not necessarily be uh, in context with what we were talking about, but it's got to be a good one anyway. Uh, whom did you marry? This is probably something I should. <laughs> you're right in the middle of it and think, man, I didn't want to say that. That don't, that don't fit. Uh, I'll just read it. This may be news to me also. In fact, it is because I haven't read this particular one. It, the author is Walter Waldgener Jr. Whom did you marry? So I need, need to have a little time to backtrack if I may make a mistake here. In our little apartment in St. Louis, Thane went to bed at precisely 9 o'clock every night. No matter the difference of day, some harder, some easier, no matter the marvelous conversation she cut short to get her sleep, and, always, and she always showed, always showed first, and she always laid her clothes out neatly. Thane's prearranged, punctualist life seemed to me a compulsive, cold routine. On the other hand, I was to her a stunning mess. You know, and I know people that habitual cleaners. You know, and the other 
person is a, is a slob. So unpredictable as to be unreliable and, un, and how in the name of clean, cleanly godliness could I contrive to spew dirty socks through every room of the apartment? What, I, what had I married, a machine? What had she married, an adolescent? In marriage, idealization will surely run upon realization. The question is not how we might avoid the crisis, but because we can't. The question, rather, is what work is required to meet the crisis and grow by it. You know, sometimes we're into a situation that, uh, you know, no matter how long you date, you don't always know a lot of things about, about your partner. And, and sometimes it's a rude awakening, and a lot of times we just, you know, we have to deal with it, and we do the best we can. And, and sometimes we still find out many years later that, you know, that we didn't know certain things, and, and, and that's the good thing about forgiveness and about patience and love for the, uh, the other person. Uh, the question, rather, is what, what work is required to meet the crisis and to grow by it? For if we think that this revelation is this revelation of real of the real spouse is the final truth in our of our mate in our marriage, and that we've made a dreadful mistake, therefore then we will move to alienation from one another. But if we take this as a natural step in the process of growing together, we may with clear sight, move toward acceptance and accommodation of each other. So what it's saying is that, you know, we don't understand everything about them, but we're, we're willing to work through it. And one of the things that, um, the principles that uh, I want to speak on, this, this is pretty well to the end of it. Uh, in the other article I referred to earlier, develop a positive view of each other. And that would go really, really well right now on this. We, you know, we, we, we find things about other people, whether it's our mate or whether it's a friend or whatever. We find things that we, a lot of times we look at things, we see things the way we expect to. We expect them, they say certain things, and we expect this is what, what we're seeing and not giving the benefit of the doubt. But if we would look at them with, with a positive attitude and, and try to give them the benefit of the doubt, it helps to not alienate us from that person. Um, you know, each, each of your partners have problems, you know that. And so many people, they compare that person with someone else and they begin to dwell on that and then it spreads over into something else and then before you know it you've got a lot of negativity built up but if we can turn around the positives on that and think about the goodness that they have we're so much better off but anyway um, there's so many many like i said before so many good points in here so many Things we can all do a lot better in, in our relationships, whether it's family or, or whether it's uh, uh, outside. Uh, in con conclusion, marriage is like a garden, and you've heard that many a time. Marriage is like a garden, but it must be tended closely.
It must be tended closely. You can't allow the weeds to grow up. And this is relationship either whether it's marriage or friendships. We have to work to keep our friendships alive and active. 